Hello, and welcome to the Passion on Purpose Leaders on Center Stage podcast. I am Steph, and I'm the owner and creative director of Vim. Vim's mission is to showcase the enthusiasm and passion of business leaders nationwide. I cannot wait to have you listen to the show and stick around. At the end, we talk a little bit about how you can be my next guest. All right, we are back with another episode. I'm so excited for today's episode of the Passion on Purpose Leaders on Center Stage podcast. I'm just beyond thrilled to have Alan Stein Jr. He is a keynote speaker and author of several books. We'll dive into that um, in a little bit. Um, Also podcast host, so many great things, so much wisdom that I've already gleaned from him. So I'm stoked to have him here to just share with us more about his passion and his intention for life and business and all the things. Um, So I'll stop gushing and I will just dive right in as we normally do. And I will say, Alan, what is your why? Oh boy. You went right for the jugular, right out of the gate. I love it. No pitter patter, no warm up. Let's get it going. Um, My why is is to pour into others. And as I like to say, to light other people's candles. Um, One of the mantras that I live by is uh, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And um, the way that I light candles and the the audience that I'm aiming at has changed a little bit over the course of my career. But my my purpose, my meaning and my why uh, hasn't wavered. And that is to pour into others so they can be their best selves. I love that. And so... Pouring into others could look like so many things, right? There's so many coaches and so many ways you can do that. And when you search you or if you absorb any of your content, one of the common themes I see is high performance. So tell me a little bit about, you know, lighting others' candles, this passion of yours, and how it's correlated so, you know, like so, so like tangibly um, with high performance. Well, what I find fascinating about performance, a lot of people tend to have a, a connotation of performance that it's it's only for athletes or it's only for 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 those in, in the arts or in music or actors, you know, and they think of it more of a traditional sense of an actual performance. Uh, when my belief is we're performing in every area of our life, every day of our life. And, you know, I perform as a father to my three children. I perform certainly when I'm on stage as a as a keynote speaker. You know, I'm performing now to hopefully add value to you and and your listeners on your podcast. You know, I perform in my community. I perform as a business owner. So my my goal is to give folks um, tangible and practical strategies and and mindsets and habits um, that they can utilize to perform at a maximum level in each of those different areas of of life. And I've I've always been a believer that, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything Mm -hmm. and that we should all be striving to be our best selves in each of these different facets of our lives. And um, sometimes things require more of our attention and more of our our focus and effort than others. Uh, I'm certainly not implying that everything is always balanced, um, but we perform in a variety of capacities. And and it's been my experience, uh, firsthand experience, that how you perform has a lot to do with your confidence level and how you feel about yourself. And your confidence level and how you feel about yourself then dictates how you show up for others. So um, these things are all kind of intertwined. So I figure if I can help folks perform at a maximum level in these different areas of life, they'll feel better about themselves and they'll show up as better versions of themselves for the people they care about. Yeah, 
I love that. And so I know, I know from your background, right? So athletes is a very, very specific area that you focus on. So one, I love that you kind of frame it really early on that you're listening to this and you're not an athlete or you're not a business owner or you're not a podcast host or any of these things. There is still a lot of value that you can apply to, to what we're going to talk about. So I love first off that you, you know, kick us off with that. The other thing is, so lighting others candles, I, I want you to, to, put yourself back to whatever earliest age it needs to be. When, when did that become like a common theme of your life that you realize I like to light other people up? Like, can you, I know this, this is catching you off guard possibly, but when do you earliest remember that? Well, it actually was modeled for me in a couple of different ways. Uh, both of my parents were elementary educators. Uh, my mom was a first grade teacher for 30 years. Uh, my father started as an elementary teacher and then became a, a middle school principal. Um, and, you know, teaching is an incredibly altruistic profession. I mean, you teach, certainly not for the pay, uh, you teach because you love pouring into young people. Um, and, and that was modeled for me. My parents loved being teachers. So I got to see how much satisfaction and enjoyment they got by lighting other people's candles. Uh, and then I've always been involved in athletics. You know, I, I started playing sports at four or five years old, and I still consider myself an athlete now here four decades later. Um, but I had a lot of youth coaches in a variety of different sports that had that same approach. Mm. You know, they, they took their passion for helping young people and their passion for that specific sport and they made that infectious and they had an unbelievable energy and enthusiasm. Uh, and I'm so thankful that my my earliest sporting experiences were positive and favorable. That's kind of why I caught the bug and kind of why I fell in love with that. I mean, I, I could have easily uh, had some real negative experiences that might have turned me off to playing sports. Right. And I could have gone down an entirely different path. Um, but thankfully, they they were good role models. They were mentors. Mm -hmm. They poured into me, and uh, so so there's basically two different groups: my parents, and then these series of coaches that that showed me how much enjoyment they got by being of service to others. And I think that's what initially uh, planted the seed for me. Yeah, and you turned that passion of seeing others pour into you into what you do now, right? Your career. Not everyone can see like you saw, oh, look at this. This is something, someone did this to me. I can do that. I can turn this into a career now. So how did you, what was the journey like for you to discover, oh, I, I can do this for others and turn this into something, you know, meaningful? That part didn't click till much later, you know, yeah. almost post-college, you know, when, because I, I still very much identified as an athlete um, mm -hmm. throughout my entire childhood and all the way up through college. I was fortunate enough to play basketball uh, at Elon University, a small school in North Carolina. Um, so for the first, you know, 22 years of my life, while I'm identifying heavily as an athlete, um, that was what was most important to me. I wasn't really thinking about anything beyond that. Uh, and then once I got into college and the writing was on the wall that I was not going to be a professional player and no one was going to pay my bills for putting a ball in a basket, I realized that I, I needed to have something that I wanted to do. And, and because my parents had modeled how important it was to love your work and to have a passion for whatever it is that you do, I started to narrow down the list of things that I was passionate about. And it was a very short list. Uh, <laughs> I, I was in love with the game of basketball, which was my first love. But then while I was in college, I started to develop an equal affinity 
for performance training, which at the time was was called strength and conditioning, okay. uh, fitness side of basketball. It was how do you improve athleticism and and jump higher and run faster, mm. uh, nutrition, mindset. It was really all of the stuff, uh, you know, besides the actual skills of the game of basketball. So I thought, what could be better than combining my original love of basketball with this newfound love of performance training? So, you know, in the late 90s, when I graduated college, I thought I'll be a basketball performance coach. Uh, I didn't really give much thought to doing anything else. Now, what makes that interesting is in the late 90s, that really wasn't a profession per se. You know, at that time, surprisingly enough, less than a third of NBA teams even had a strength and conditioning consultant. You know, oh. this, this push towards, you know, athleticism and performance and strength training, this has really come about in the last 25 years and it's, it's grown rapidly, uh, thankfully. Um, but I was kind of going into uncharted territory. So in all honesty, when I, I graduated, for the most part, I was a personal fitness trainer and I would train anyone and everyone that I could because I had to pay my bills. Um, but I slowly worked to the point that I was specializing and only working with basketball players. And it, it took a few years to be able to, to build up enough clientele that I could support myself only working with basketball players. But that was all I wanted to do. And, and it was really, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about prestige. It wasn't about anything other than there's no place I'd rather be than in the gym or in the weight room working with basketball players. So, you know, my, I really led with my heart and I led with my passion yeah. and didn't look back. I love, so there's two things like one, you're very introspective, right? Even, even then you knew innately that in order to create a life that I want to live and I want to wake up for every day, I need to know what is my passion and figure out a way to gain from it, right? Put food on the table. Um, not everyone is a introspective, but also because of that, we often don't recognize our own innate skills and talents. And I find it fascinating that, like you said, I mean, obviously, right, we're now in 2022. And so in the 90s, things were a little different. But even then, like my perception as a young girl at the time, I would have assumed every single NBA team had all the professionals, but they're really banking on these athletes coming in with this innate knowledge of how to be a high performer. But clearly, from what I know I've learned from you, from what you do, that's not true, right? This innate, oh, just because I'm a professional basketball player, it might be innate in me, but somebody needs to be there to really help coach me and pull it out of me so that I can reach this high performance that I want. How, how did that, I mean, that was hugely what you did and what you do. So in, dive in on that a little bit. Sure. Well, and I appreciate your, your kind words of praise. And, and, and generally speaking as a quality, I have been fairly introspective for most of my life. I, I actually am heavily introverted, uh, which surprises a lot of people. And, and, and I go by the traditional definition of where I derive energy from, which is solitude. Like I mm -hmm. love alone time. Um, mm -hmm. Being with people as much as I love it. And I'm not antisocial and I do love people. Yeah. Being with people actually drains me. You know, being on stage in front of a group and pouring everything I can into a, a keynote presentation, uh, there's no better high but I'm exhausted. And when yeah. it's over, I cannot wait to get back to my hotel room and sit in complete silence and order some Uber Eats. Um, so so <laughs> I, I think the introversion kind of always went hand in hand with the introspection because mm -hmm. I had plenty of solitude uh, and time to reflect. But re really got me on the journey. You know, I mentioned how impactful some of these youth 
coaches uh, have been in my life. And, and I had a coach around middle school age give me what I still consider to this day the single best advice I've ever received. And, and you've kind of teed it up beautifully. Uh, he said, Alan, uh, the, key to not only, the key to not only high performance and success, but also true fulfillment is finding what it is that you love to do, finding what it is that you have a natural talent in, and then find where those two things intersect. And if you can find where your passion and your natural gifts intersect, that's called your strength zone. And the more time you can invest in that strength zone, you'll perform at a higher level, you'll have better achievement, better success, but you'll also have a much higher sense of joy and fulfillment. And, and I've never forgotten that. And I've always used that as my guide. Now, for me, that point of intersection has changed a little bit over the years. You know, as I said, the, the initial point of intersection was as a basketball player. Uh, and then that changed to being a basketball performance coach. And then the, the current iteration is as a corporate keynote speaker and author, but it still it still maintains both of those qualities, something I love and something that I've got a decent gift for. And I, I think being around athletics and around these coaches, uh, uh, watching my parents who as teachers, you know, are, are communicators, are leaders, you know, I've, I've always had a knack uh, for being able to articulate and, and clarify my perspective, uh, to be able to motivate and inspire and pour into others, uh, to be able to teach and break things down that, that may seem complex, but break them down, um, yeah. You know, to be simple enough for someone to understand them. I mean, most of my career as a basketball performance coach, I was working with middle school and high school age players. I mean, I got to do some stuff with some remarkable NBA guys, and that's what gives me some notoriety. But most of my work was at the high school level. So I have to be able to explain, you know, these these concepts and these principles and these training methodologies to a 15 year old who's never picked up a weight in their entire life. So um, those were things that, that thankfully I was able to do at a, at a pretty decent level. And, you know, to, to your point, it is surprising to a lot of people that in the late nineties, you know, the NBA, which was still a, a, a major, you know, professional sport wasn't anywhere close to what it is today. I mean, right. I think, so I said less than a third of NBA teams had a strength and conditioning consultant at the time. And you fast forward to present day where every NBA team not only has a strength and conditioning coach, they have an entire performance department that employs 30 to 40 full-time people. Yeah. Massage therapists, physical therapists, nutritionists, uh, massage therapists, you know, I mean, it, it is unbelievable how robust that is. And, and I think they slowly started to figure out that there's many facets to being an elite NBA player. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, their machinery in essence is their body. And if right. you want to play at a high level and you want to play for a long time, you got to take care of this thing. And, and yeah. they would outsource the people that knew how to take care of the body. So uh, thankfully, with that wave kind of sweeping through the professional ranks, then that slowly trickled down to college and high school. So it, it's, it became an easier sell for me to be able to talk to a high school player's parents and say one of the best investments you can make in your child's future uh, is to help strengthen their body and to get them into really good shape, which was what I did. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very thankful that I kind of hit that trend at the right time. Um, right. If I was 10 or 15 years older than I am now, I probably would have been a little bit ahead of the curve and it might not have worked out. Uh, if I was 10 or 15 years younger uh, than I am now, then I, I would have been kind of late to the party, if you will. So one of the reasons I was able to, to have some of the opportunities I had, I was just in that sweet spot and, yeah. and I was at the perfect age 
to kind of ride that wave, you know. I mean, some of the opportunities that I had back in the early 2000s, there's a pretty long list of very qualified people today that want those same opportunities. But when it was my turn, there was nobody there. There was nobody in line. I, I just could talk myself into some events because no one had ever done that before. And right. so I was I was very fortunate. So I don't I, I don't ever forget and, and don't ever lose, you know, uh, gratefulness for for the opportunities that I've had. Well, and you got to credit yourself too. Uh, not that you use the word luck, but a lot of people would perceive that as always oh, lucky. He had the right time, but it's it's also you saw an opportunity and you were bold enough to take it. You were bold enough to step in. I I've heard your some of the stories of some of the athletes you've worked with, and you were bold enough to say, "Hey, can I come in and join on a practice? Hey, can I do this?" You know, not everyone is bold enough to see an opportunity and take it. They're waiting for for luck to fall on their lap. <laughs> For sure. And and the funny thing is, as I look back and I now have the gift of hindsight, um, part of that was being naive. Uh, part <laughs> of that was kind of a, a youthful brashness where when I'm in my early to mid twenties, I already thought I had everything figured out. And I think I thought I knew everything, which is so funny now because at 46, I realized not only how, how little did the 20 year old Alan know, but how much more the 46 year old Alan still has to learn. And, yeah. and I think that was kind of a rite of passage. And, you know, one thing that I, I usually say from stage, and I certainly say it on page, and I say it in most of the, the podcasts that I'm fortunate enough to be a guest on, you know, everything that I share, I'm not coming from a place of mastery. Like these are things that I'm still trying to figure out that I right. still wrestle with. I'm still challenged by. And I also say that most of the things that I teach and most of the things that I preach were things that I did wrong before or things yeah. that I did incorrectly or mistakes that I made. I, I had an, an awesome conversation with my three children uh, last night at dinner. They were asking me um, kind of about my high school and college career. And, you know, I for context, I have 12 year old sons, twin sons and a 10 year old daughter, uh, all three of which love the game of basketball and have, have proclaimed that they want to play college basketball one day. So I'm nice. trying to bestow some wisdom to them and, and it, to increase vulnerability and to, to increase my connection with them, I let them know, you know, hey, when I was in high school, I was pretty hard headed. You know, mm -hmm. I was in college. I wasn't near as open as I am today to to learning new ways. I I always thought I had everything figured out. You know, I remember so many times thinking I was smarter than my high school coach and would roll his I'd roll my eyes when he would tell me something. And and I've forgiven my my previous self for that. That was just kind of the journey that I was on. And, and that lack of humility then has certainly added to my hu humility in present day. So it was all part of the path I was on, but I let them know that, you know, one yeah. of the things I, I talk to my children all the time about is, you know, we don't blame, complain, or make excuses. You know, we do the best we can with what we have, where we are, that's it. And, but when I look back, I mean, in high school and college, I was the king of blaming, complaining, and making excuses. Mm -hmm. Everything was somebody else's fault. And, you know, with some of that introspection and certainly the help of a professional therapist, I've been able to uncover, you know, most of that, that faux brashness came out of a deep insecurity of not thinking I was good enough. So I, I mask that with, with kind of puffing my chest out and, and thinking I knew everything. So it's all been part of the journey. And, you know, that, that previous self is a part of who I am today. So for that, I'm, I'm thankful, but yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride to say the least. Yeah. So I love learning that you primarily worked with the middle school and the high school age because it's such a, I mean, 
we're, we're always learning so much, but at that age, there's this um, expectation that you graduate high school and that now you need to know what you're going to do for your life. Right. And so when you're working with this age group in particular, and I'm, we're talking about passion, right. And you had the introspection ability to say, okay, I need to find my passion and something I'm good at, figure out that intersection point. But if you ask a teen today, what are you passionate about? I mean, other than their phone and video games and getting out of class, I, I, I don't think we're going to get very uh, quality answers, right? So how did you work with the kids of the, that age to help them pull that out, like bring that out of them? What Was it an exercise you did with it? Was it just being there for them? Tell me what that looked like. Well, where I was very fortunate, since this was all done kind of through the lens of, of basketball, you know, the, the players that I was working with were very passionate about basketball. And keep in mind, when this journey first started, you know, for me in the early 2000s, I mean, this is, yeah, the internet was around, but it wasn't the internet that we know yeah. the internet to be today. This was all pre-social media. Got you know, it. this was still kind of back in the day of, you know, people were not, we didn't have smartphones at that time. You know, we had kind of the flip phone and, and, and you know, <laughs> no it, it, yeah, be somewhat mobile, um, but it, it, we didn't have the preponderance of digital distractions that that like my children are, are facing today. Right. Um, I was very fortunate. Those kids were very passionate about the game of basketball. And, and I wanted to channel that and say, OK, well, if you want to be good at the game of basketball, there's more to it than just being good at the game of basketball. You need to be a good student. You know, you need to be an upstanding citizen. Yeah, you need to be, you know, uh, uh, you have to do things out, outside of the court. Like you have to get your body stronger. You have to get good sleep. You have to eat well. So I used it as a tool um, to hopefully be a very positive influence and role model to, to everything they did in their life. I mean, I remember parents used to love that I would tell my basketball players, you need to make your bed every morning. Right. You know, your bed is a sign of discipline and discipline is required to be an elite athlete. And, you know, their parents had been begging them to make their bed for years and they never would do it. I tell them one day and the next morning they make their bed and their parents' minds were just blown. But I was able to channel what it was that they wanted most and show them how these other areas of their life would contribute to that. And and I don't think it's much different today. I mean, yes, my my children We'll stare at their own devices if we allow that, if if my ex-wife and I allow that. But we put parameters in place and right. you know, and, and and still get them and encourage them and support them to find the things that that they love. And to me, that's what's what's most important. And you know, for some young people, that will be sport and athletics. Mm -hmm. For others, it will be something different. It can be the arts, it can be music, it can be computers or graphic design. You yeah. know, and, and what's really fascinating by this wave is, you know, we've seen a massive increase in entrepreneurship over the last decade. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know a lot of people frown upon kind of this influencer culture, you know, where where kids say they want to be influencers or they want to be TikTokers. And 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 I try not to poo poo on that. You know, I, no. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what I would want for my children, but I let them know that if that's something you want to go after all of these principles that I've been sharing and modeling and teaching you apply to that as well. Like mm -hmm. if you want to be the number one TikToker in the world, you have to do the same type of stuff that Kobe Bryant did to be the best basketball player in the world. Right. Uh, same stuff. And you know, if, if you want to be world-class and make your living playing Fortnite, well, you better believe that those players, they put in the same hours of practice 
that, mm-hmm. that elite level athletes put in. And I just connect the dots and, and I let my children know that this is their path and this is their journey and they're free to pursue whatever they want to pursue. And I will love them unconditionally and I will support them, but it's all the same stuff. And that's why no matter who's listening to our conversation right now, this stuff applies. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want a better marriage, these principles apply. If you want to be more connected to your kids, this applies. You want to yeah. be a better teacher, doctor, lawyer, TikToker. It's all the same stuff. You know, these foundational principles and these core beliefs, you know, they're they're the, the they make up everything that it is that we're trying to perform in. So, um, yeah, so that's to me, that's that's kind of what's what's fun about this work is that it has, you know, it's applicable to so many different areas of our life. Yeah. Well, so I love that you bring up influencers because and, and that you bring it up with in conjunction with kids and their thoughts because they know no different. Right? right. There, There is not a day where these devices it, don't exist in their world. Even for me, I mean, I, I had a computer from the day I could remember. I mean, I was in second grade on the computer that I can yeah. remember. So, you know, my kids, your kids, they don't know a different world. And so we grew up with the perception of corporate marketing and brands and Coca-Colas and Nikes. And we have this perception of who they are, what they stand for, whether we like it or don't. Now, these younger ages, our world now, basically, all of that is the same. It's just in a different model. It is now influencers, right? Athletes have a personal brand. They have a digital reputation that if you want to be the best TikToker, Fortnite, basketball player, artist, right? Author, whatever the thing is, it's no longer that you can just be good at the game. You brought up a moment ago, you said that you also, with your high school kids, okay, you have to get good grades. You have to stand for something. You have to do something for your community. Now, we actually have to show these things now. It's, it's, you can't just do them. You know, you have to figure out how do I encapsulate these things I stand for, these things I'm good at, um, and put them in the, in the light. And I can't just dribble the ball. It's not, I can't only be that. I have to be all these other things to, to stand out above the crowd and to relate to those who respect those pieces of me. I'm sorry, I kind of went on a tangent, but you said so much good stuff there. Um, and so my, my, my question, what I, you kind of teed up for me, my question is, when it comes to athletes and high performance and these other aspects of passion and getting them here, How have you seen that either evolve? How have you helped coach with that? Does the athletic personal brand come to light with conversations with you a lot? Like, what does that look like for you and your experiences? Well, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, every human being walking the earth is their own personal brand and and has an opportunity to use their platform in whatever way they choose. Now, some people choose not to do anything with that. Some people choose not to go all in in these certain areas. But I think one of the the things we're seeing and what I'm most impressed by from from the younger generations that that are coming up is they want their voice to be heard and they want to use their platform to to make a difference in society uh, and to use it for good. Um, And and I, I think that's unbelievable. And, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I'm kind of on either side of the fence. I grew up without all of that technology. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't, ha- I didn't even have that initial flip uh, uh, cell phone until I graduated from college. So I-, I knew what a childhood was like 
without yeah. that, with three television channels and not 24 hour programming. Right. So we didn't have a whole lot to do. Like that was why I was outside and so active. Um, and, and being able to see both sides of it, I, I would hope uh, gives me a much higher level of empathy and compassion, especially with my own children. You know, once again, I hear a lot of the older generation, you know, bagging on kids of, you know, why are you guys always staring at your phones? It's like, well, first of all, to be fair, if they had phones when you were a child, you would have been staring at it as well. I mean, right. I know I would have. Right. Um, and secondly, most adults are staring at their phones these days. You know, most of the parents that are telling their kids to get off of their phones have to put their phone down to tell their kid to get off of their phone. You know, it's we need to model the behavior that we want to see in others. So, you know, I have high empathy for my children and let them know, yeah, if Fortnite would have been around when I was 12, I'm pretty sure I would have wanted to play it all of the time. So I yeah. get that. However, I do understand that because I didn't have that and I had to do some other things and some try some other things that were incredibly fulfilling and enjoyable, I encourage my kids to do those things too. So I, I want them to, to be somewhat well-rounded in that. But this concept that everybody is a brand, um, I, I love the direction that we're headed with that. I love the fact that you know everybody in today's day and age has a voice. Now, mm -hmm. like many things, um, we can certainly find examples of, of where that's not helpful. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are, are screaming on social media and, and what they're screaming um, is not really adding value and is not helpful right. to humanity and is not moving us in the right direction. But I still respect the fact that they have the right to voice it and they have yeah. the right to say it. I mean, I, I believe in freedom of choice. You know, if, if I don't like what it is that you keep posting on social media, then I just won't follow you. Right. But I believe it. I believe in your right to say it, and I absolutely believe in your right to use your platform. So I I, I commend and really respect um, the younger generations. I I personally think in today's day, you know, right now in 2022, being a kid today is harder than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they have pressures and 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 opportunities, which increases pressure um, that I didn't even have to consider at their age. You know, and and. Um, I think with that comes a responsibility, um, but they're, you know, they're, they're required to be mature and learn how to navigate these, these waters, just as we as parents have to do the same thing. Yeah. I think it's harder to be a parent today than it's been in any previous generation. Um, so yeah, I, I love the way that we're going with this. And I, I love that everyone has an opportunity to stand for something, mm -hmm. to make their voice heard and, and to kind of use the collective to, to hopefully, you know, induce some societal change. Yeah. I just love too that the more we talk about how your social media, right. That's the thing right now, how that becomes your reputation. And that, like you said, there's an intersection point, find what you're passionate about, find what you're good at. And now use this platform to find a way to blend those, mm -hmm. be authentic, you know, tie in, you know, what else you do maybe with your community or your family, like all of these things, when you are introspective, can slow down, look at it, you know, from like a, you know, bird's eye view and just look at, these are all the things of me. Boom, put that together in a little pocket and say, this is me. This is what I'm going to put out into the world. It That's how you can kind of shape and put parameters around. This is me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and with that, you know, I, I let my kids know that I know you're going to make some mistakes. I know you're going to exercise poor judgment and make bad decisions. 
because we all do. That's called yeah. growing up. That's part of the process. I mean, I've already told you, I was a little bit of a knucklehead back when I was in high school and, and wasn't as open to listening and, and being coached um, as, as you know I, I maybe should have been. That's all part of the process. Uh, that's one of the things that I think makes it so much harder for kids today is many of their mistakes are, are documented. Uh, yeah. online and are, you know, kind of exponentially uh, broadcast. So, you know, I did, I did and said some really stupid things when I was younger, but no one will ever know about them right. because no one was able to capture them, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad for that. But, but I know with my children, you know, that's not the case. So I try and use everything they do as a potential, uh, you know, life lesson or a learning experience. You know, I, I know that, and, and my children don't have social media accounts at present. They view things on TikTok and YouTube, but they don't, they don't have Instagram accounts or anything like that. But, you know, when we feel that they've reached a maturity level, that it's appropriate for them to have that, I'm prepared for them to make a stupid post one day. And right. when they do, you know, I, I'm not going to berate them. I'm going to sit down, put my arm around them, and we're going to have a discussion about why what you posted might not be in your best interest moving forward or why that post may have hurt somebody else's feelings or mm -hmm. why that post, if someone sees it five years from now, could prevent you from getting into college or getting a job because of what you put in there. And it will be a lesson. And, and that's yeah. one of the things that I would love to see our society in general do a better job of is, is giving people grace and giving mm -hmm. people some forgiveness and, and allowing them some room to grow. Um, yeah. I don't love the current trend of digging up something someone said on social media yeah. five or six years ago uh, and lambasting them for that today, especially if they've acknowledged it, they've apologized and they've admit, hey, I said something really stupid back then. I regret yeah. it. I apologize. I'm a new person today. And, and we still have people in society that aren't willing to let that go. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think we need to give people room to grow. And, and you know, I'm not done making mistakes in my life. You know, right. I'm saying stupid things or having, you know, poor judgment. Now, hopefully the, the severity and the uh, frequency of that stuff is decreasing <laughs> as I get older and have more life experience. But none of us are immune to making mistakes. And, right. and that's all part of the process. And I, I let my children know that. So I, I try and be very open with them about the mm -hmm. mistakes that I have made. And when I do make mistakes, um, because I want them to know that, that they can come to me when those things happen. And we'll have a discussion about it and we'll we'll grow and we'll learn together so to me that's that's another one of these kind of principles of, of high utility uh it's not just relegated to young people on social media you know these yeah. should be things that we're thinking about uh in our marriages as parents you know our colleagues and co-workers mm -hmm. you, know, you know we th these are things that that hopefully can and should be openly discussed and and looked at well, and professional athletes, right? Now, all of a sudden, when you aren't playing the game, um, or even like, right, I'm, I totally have Bieber's, Justin Bieber's song in my head, his most recent one, where he's talking about, hey, I was 15, I made mistakes, and you guys all cru crucified me for these. And I'm here, and I'm making myself better, and I'm apologizing. You know, these individuals in the limelight don't necessarily get the same grace as some of us who can just delete it really quick, maybe. And because everyone in the world seems to be watching someone's screenshot and things. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just more important than ever to know where your passions are and what you stand for and why you do what you do and bleed that through your digital reputation um, as much as you can. I could probably go on and on and talk about this forever, but I, I, I want to. There's such a parallel with something you talk about a lot. 
Um, and you had shared, and I kind of spoke a little bit about it earlier, that you had shared about this interaction that you had with uh, several several um, professional players. One in particular, it was Kobe. You had asked if you could join him for a practice. And the parallel, and I'll let you take, tie it up a little bit. You talk about the basics. Um, at Vim, I talk about the foundation all the time, right? And so there's such this parallel around those two things. I want to just have you talk about that experience and what you gleaned from that. Sure. Yeah. It was back in 2007. I, I had a chance to work uh, the first ever Kobe Bryant skills Academy that Nike put on. And, and I got to watch one of Kobe's really early morning workouts. And, and I remember being surprised. I mean, at the time he was the best player in the world. And I remember as a young coach being really surprised um, that the, the drills he was doing were very basic. I mean, he was drilling down on the, the fundamentals. I mean, stuff that I had done with middle school age players. Uh, and that surprised me. And when I, when I asked him point blank about that, Later that day, he basically said the best never get bored with the basics. And that was one of uh, the most epiphanal moments I've ever had, because I'm, I'm thinking here, the best player in the world is willing to commit towards mastery of the basics and fundamentals during the unseen hours to get good at his craft. Certainly the fundamentals aren't beneath me. Like I, I need to make sure that that's what I'm focused on as well. And, and that's pivotal to the work I do today um, is getting folks to get clarity on what are the basics? What are your fundamentals in whatever area that you're trying to up level? And how can you work relentlessly towards those, towards mastery of those during the unseen hours? And, and I'm with you. We, we share that same terminology. I believe the basics and the fundamentals are the foundation to which everything else is built. And this doesn't mean that you don't eventually graduate to more advanced techniques. It just means you never leave the basics completely. Uh, right. and, and one of the nice parts about consistency, um, getting in repetitions consistently is kind of like compounding interest in, in your bank account. You know, you don't have to spend seven hours a day doing the basics. In most fields, you could spend 15 to 20 minutes a day doing the basics. But once those days turn into weeks and turn into months and turn into years and turn into decades, the accumulation of the repetitions that you've put in now you've got a really, really, really strong foundation. And that's one of the things that I, I try and preach um, again to my own children, but more yeah. than preach it, I try to model that for them. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know what the basics are uh, of being a captivating keynote speaker and I work on those relentlessly. I know what the basic building blocks are, the fundamentals are um, to, to, to being a writer, to being an author. And I work on those um, and, and I try never to leave them. But once again, I'm, I'm flawed, I'm fallible. You know, anytime that I don't feel that I'm performing at the level that I'm capable of, once I go back to some introspection, I usually realize I've unconsciously started to float away from the basics and I have to refocus the lens and get back to them. And as soon as I do, performance goes right back up. So um, the, the goal is to never leave the basics so you don't have to get back to them. But because we're human and, and we're intrinsically drawn to new and flashy and shiny yeah. and sexy, it, it, yeah. it will happen. But, yeah. but that's when you need the self-awareness, the introspection, or an inner circle of people that can hold you accountable to mm -hmm. stick to those things. Yeah, we, we're all naturally going to deviate, right? We, we, we will. And so it's, I'm just geeking out over here because my passion, I, I do, I geek out so badly on what I do, but you, what you're saying parallels so beautifully because to have a foundation, you need to establish some things, 
right? You need to establish why you're doing it, what you're doing, how do you do it? Who are you doing it for? And if you establish those things and have your foundation, your Bible, whatever it is you go back to on a regular basis that, oh yeah, yep, this is why, why I'm doing it. Oh, this is what I'm doing. Oh, this is how I do it. Then that deviation, it's your gut check of like, oh, do I need to deviate? Should I deviate? You know, is shiny object in alignment with this foundation? Or if I pile it on top, is the roof going to collapse? You know, or is there, it, maybe it will collapse, maybe just a little leak and we'll get some water pouring in. But, you know, do we want that? And I just, I preach so much about taking the time to establish the basics, the foundation, the fundamentals, whatever that word you want to use, and then continue to go back to it, whether it's your brand, whether it's your, your, your work, whatever it is, go back to that and keep that, you know, pulse check at all times. It, it will serve you so well and um, with the intention you set out to do much more than, than chasing that shiny object. So I just, I love that, that story. It resonates so much to even these high performing athletes who you would think are just like you had said in one of your um, interviews, you know, I, I'm excited to see his sexy, um, uh, his sexy uh, training, his sexy practice. And it was like, oh no, he's just doing the basics. Yeah. Well, and, and where I can admit now that, you know, that, I learned that lesson many, many years ago. I will acknowledge that in many instances and in many different areas of our life, the basics can become monotonous and they can become mundane. You know, I'm not saying that anybody does a back handspring out of bed and can't wait to start working on the basics when they've been doing it for decades of their life. Mm -hmm. But they've they've worked on their discipline muscle to the point that they just know that's what needs to be done, that I have a personal standard and, and I, I live up to this personal standard regardless of how I feel, regardless of whether it's convenient, regardless of whether I want to. Like if I'm a basketball player, I work on my footwork and my shooting mechanics. It's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, that's part of it. But part of it is they might not love the basics per se, but they love the feeling of improvement and they love the feeling of progress uh, in sport. They love winning. I mean, nothing's more addicting than winning, especially like in a, in a game like basketball. Yeah. And when they connect the dots and realize that the, the closer I come to mastery of the fundamentals, then the more I'll give myself a chance to win. That's the part that, that, that keeps them engaged in that. And as I said, um, you know, in a, in a two hour basketball workout, a guy like Kobe was not doing the basics that entire time. Right. He was doing that to kind of prime himself and, and get himself, you know, lay that foundation, if you will. And then he would certainly move up and, and do some more advanced techniques, um, you know, to kind of satiate that need to try new things and to be challenged by him. Uh, but he would never leave them. And, you know, any of the the either firsthand observations or research I've done on on the most iconic sports teams of the last 20 years, you know, whether it's Duke men's basketball uh, or, or the New England Patriots in the NFL back when Tom Brady was there, you know, if you would go to their practices you would see the best players in the world and the coaches uh, doing basic stuff like the New England Patriots practice blocking and tackling, throwing and catching, because that's what the game of football is built on. Mm -hmm. You know, same thing in, in Duke basketball. I mean, they're working on setting screens and, and shooting mechanics and making the right bounce pass. You know, they never leave that stuff. And, and yeah. that's what I find so fascinating is and this kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, you know, people are on the internet and on social media and they're always kind of chasing this next thing mm -hmm. when they're not even focusing on what's right in front of them. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things I would always deal with with the athletes back when I was in the training space, you know, one of their first questions was always, well, what supplement should I be taking? Mm. And I was like, supplement, you know, do you know what that word means? That means in addition to mm -hmm. you eat an atrocious diet right now, you don't eat a well-balanced, healthy diet. So why are you skipping steps and, and mm. asking about supplements? Yeah. Come back to me when you are eating, you know, a, a, a well-rounded, healthy, nutritious, fueling diet that an elite athlete would eat. And when you yeah. can check every single box and you can do that, not in one day, but for weeks, months and years, then we can look at how supplementation might add to that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I would tell those players all the time, if you're not getting quality sleep, uh, if, if you're not eating healthy foods, if you're not doing the stretches and the things that I'm telling you to do on your off days, if you're not doing any of that, then you're decreasing what these workouts are going to be able to do for you. So if you're just thinking you can skip over that and let's come do some fun drills with coach Stein, it doesn't work that way. You have to check right. each of those boxes. And, and if you build them very similar to a pyramid where we keep using this foundation mm -hmm. as the reference point. That stuff is the foundation. So don't don't look to supplement anything and, until you've you know you've checked off some of those boxes. And uh, yeah, that's what and that again applies to every area of our life. This isn't yeah. just for middle school basketball players. This is for yeah. all of us. Yeah, it's people are so quick to want to jump to like in my world. It's like oh, can I run Facebook ads? Right? They just yeah. want to jump to like like the quick marketing tactic that will you know get them whatever they need, business attention, what have you instead of being like okay well we need to pull back what what is the ad about who are we who's our audience who's the ad for there's so many things that the foundation needs to be built upon before you can get to the the sexy thing of running an ad or yeah. the sexy thing of you know shooting a three-pointer right yeah. well let's can we dribble like let's pull back <laughs> absolutely well it's th this will certainly show my age because i don't know if any of your younger listeners or even you will understand this reference but the, the quote i always think of is uh Everybody wants to be in a rock band, but no one wants to practice in their garage. Uh, it's like, you know, when you look back, if, if back in the day, if if you wanted to be an ACDC or Metallica or Van Halen, those guys started in a garage mm -hmm. with their friends, with no one knowing anything about them. And they would work on their specific instrument and they would get together with their friends every single night for three or four hours to jam together until yeah. we could make music that was worthy of someone else listening. So when when you go to a Van Halen concert in the late 80s and you see an entire arena packed with people and, and David Lee Roth, like swinging through pyrotechnics and stuff, and you're thinking, well, I want to do that. OK, that's great. And I'm glad that's your North Star. And I want you to go after that. But you can't start where he is now. You need to ask, what did you do 20 years ago? And yeah. that's where you need to start. You know, once I had an opportunity to work some of these events for Nike and I'm, I'm working events for LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant, you know, and younger performance coaches that were 10, 15 years younger than me would say, hey, Alan, I would love to work these types of events. You know, how do I get into these events? And I would say, I think that's great. These are wonderful experiences. But let me tell you what I did 10 years ago, because that's when I started planting the seed. That's when I started creating the foundation that allowed me to do that today. You can't skip steps and just start today. You're you're stepping over, you know, in this case, everything I've done in the past 10 years or everything David Lee Roth has done in the past 20 years. Yeah. You can't do that. Now, the cool part is when someone has blazed the trail in front of you, if you're willing to learn from them and get mentored by the right people and ask the right questions and read, watch and listen to the right stuff, you can cut that window down significantly. 
I mean, I'm certainly not implying something that it took me 10 years to do would take someone today 10 years. They could probably do it in two years if they're willing to learn, but they still have to go back to those initial steps. You know, you, you can't, you, I mean, you said it perfectly before you're shooting three pointers, you better be able to make some layups, you know, right. after you make some layups, then you need to be able to shoot from four or five feet away. And you progress until you move back to the point that you have the strength, the form and the accuracy to shoot a three pointer. But everyone wants to just walk out on the court and just start jacking it up because that's what they think is cool. And that's what they think is sexy. Yeah. The, the slow down to get ahead quote or mentality, whatever you want to call it. I say it all the time. You got to slow down to get ahead and no, not no one, but so many and that I work with and so many businesses I see, they don't want to slow down to get ahead. They want to just jump to that point, whatever that point is. Yeah. Now in fairness, again, I still fall victim to this myself, you know, so I've been a, a corporate keynote speaker uh, since 2017. So I'm, I'm in my fifth year now and, and I'll still go to an event and, and I'll see somebody on stage and they're on a bigger stage, getting a higher keynote fee. They've got more Instagram followers. They have more podcast listeners. And I see them and I think, you know, like, man, how, how are they so far ahead of me? I feel like I'm on their level. And, and I'm not saying that with a lack of humility. I have confidence in what I do in my craft. And I'm thinking, man, I, I can't believe I'm not on their level. Yeah. And then I remember they're in their 20th year of speaking. I'm in my fifth year of speaking. I'm now trying to skip steps. The, the same thing that I just shared with you that I would tell someone else, I just inadvertently and unconsciously forgot. Yeah. So I have to remember that, you know, it's the old apples and oranges. You know, I'm asking myself why in year five, I'm not getting the same, you know, uh, opportunities as someone that's in year 20. And mm -hmm. I, I need to just stick to the process, trust the process, engage the process. And it probably won't take me till year 20 to get there. I'll probably be able to cut that curve down just as those coming up behind me will be able to do the same. But I have to remember that and 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 have to keep that in mind because I, I chuckle probably once a month that I have that thought. You know, yeah. I see somebody on social media, a colleague, they're doing a massive event for a huge brand. I know what their fee is. And I'm like, man, why aren't I doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah because they've gotten a lot more reps than I have. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's another thing that I, I believe wholeheartedly in my life and that I model for my children. And I say it to them all the time. Repetition is not punishment. Repetition mm. is the oldest and most effective form of learning and skill acquisition on the planet. If you want to get good at anything, you have to put in repetitions. And most of those repetitions will occur during the unseen hours when nobody else is watching. And, and we as a society forget that. We see David Lee Roth on stage and I'm only smiling because <laughs> that is such an old reference that I don't think any of your listeners, they'll have to Google him. But you know, we see him on stage or we see Stephen Curry, you know, score 60 points one night. And we're sitting there thinking like, man, he's so amazing. He's so talented. Yeah. Often, excuse me. Often think he's so lucky. It's like, right. do you have any idea what right. he does behind closed doors when no one else is watching? The sheer number of repetitions that that young man has put in. Do you know how many times he's been in an empty gym when no one was there and he's making hundreds, if not thousands of shots? Yeah, there's a reason he's that good. It is not it's not by accident. I can promise you that. Well, I, I just I feel like I could just keep talking forever. So I want to respect your time. And I just have to thank you again for coming on. And before we wrap up, I just anyone listening wants to, to learn more from you, geek out more with you. Uh, what's the best way to do that? 
um, I know you have, like I mentioned, you're an author, keynote speaker, podcast host. We'll make sure that your links are, are you know, in the show notes, but kind of what's your best like start here? Uh, the best thing to do is go to allensteinjr.com. That's kind of the hub of everything that I do. Uh, to that, if you click on the resources tab, it'll take you to a supplemental site I have, which is strongerteam.com. Allensteinjr.com is primarily everything I do from a speaking standpoint. Strongerteam.com is information on the books, the podcast. I have an online course uh, and I do some exclusive one-on-one -on -one coaching with a, a small handful of clients. Uh, and then, yeah, if anyone's interested in the books, just search either Raise Your Game or Sustain Your Game uh, on Amazon or Audible or wherever you like to get your books and audio books. Uh, and then on social media, uh, I'm active and, and take a lot of pride in not only being accessible, but also being very responsive. Um, so I'm at Alan Stein Jr. on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, if any part of this conversation resonated or someone wants to ask a question like, who is David Lee Roth and what is Van Halen? All you got to do is shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'll, I'll gladly get back to you. I must look young today. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. So um, I just want to just reiterate, you know, you had mentioned that even yourself, sometimes you're questioning, like, why am I not getting that opportunity? And, you know, we deviate. And so the, the big factor on those who are high performers and those who really want to keep excelling is you put things in front of you that help keep you on that path, whether it's a book like Raise Your Game, whether it's podcasts that keep you motivated, whether it's a, a mentor or someone. So I'm just, I want to end this episode by just saying, you know, if you struggle with imposter syndrome, or if you are like Alan and I, who sometimes are like, Ugh, why aren't we here yet? Find things that remind you of your journey and that you will get there and that you just need to stick to it. So thank you, Alan, again, for coming on. I appreciate you so much. Oh, the feeling's mutual. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, guys, until next time. Steph here. Thank you so much for listening to the Passion on Purpose Leaders on Center Stage podcast. If you are a successful business owner and you lead your business with passion, we'd love to feature you on our show. We'd love to share with the world what makes your business great and how you have intentionally led passion throughout your business. Also, if you got any value or little tidbits from this episode, please take a minute to screenshot the episode and share it on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to tag us so we can properly thank you and we love deepening our connection with our listeners. We are regularly putting out new episodes to feature leaders such as yourself who lead with passion on purpose. So be sure to subscribe to our show so you don't miss any future episodes. For more episodes, guest information, or details on the show, please visit getvim.com forward slash passion on purpose. That's getvim.com forward slash passion on purpose. Once again, I'm Steph. I am the owner and creative director at Vim. And thank you for listening to the show.